And we're live with our 131st episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co host, Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. We're super excited to be here today uh, to talk threat modeling and segment. Uh, we're huge fan, as fans of the segment team. So having Chivan on to, to talk through what they're doing over there from a threat modeling perspective is going to be a it, it's going to be a good conversation. Um, we only have a couple of announcements today. Uh, first up, uh, Ken and I are on the fence, but we did get accepted to uh, teach at Black Hat, teach the secure code review course, but we are trying to gauge interest because it will be virtual again this year. So if you are interested, if you are, you know, you have anyone that you feel like wants to attend that course in that format, let us know. Um, as long as we can gauge that there are, there is enough interest for us to put the effort into it um, for the updates and everything else, we will go ahead and, and launch that. We've been looking forward to in-person uh, conferences and wait, kind of waiting for that aspect to, to pop back up after the pandemic. But um, our, we are still willing to share that knowledge out, obviously, at any point. Um, but uh, if you would like to see us at Black Hat, please let us know. Uh, we'll make sure and, and register at that point and, and get all the our ducks in a row. Um, outside of that, I you know I, I don't think we have a lot. I did see that. Uh, what is it? I, I always get the name wrong, right? Global AppSec USA Virtual 2021. I, I don't know, whatever it is. It's going to be virtual again this year in November, OWASP's uh, flagship conference, um, Global AppSec I, I, Virtual. I, I guess that's what they're calling it. I don't even know, right? Um, but if anybody is at, you know, following that, um, it's November at this point. Like it feels a little premature, but I understand why they're doing it. So. And yeah, otherwise, I, I mean, I think we could probably jump straight into threat modeling. Ken, do you have anything else before we yes. do a formal introduction of Jivon? Go ahead. Yes, I have my selfish moment where I hog the, yeah. So uh, I've got a role coming out at GitHub for our assessment team. So we do like code reviews, threat modeling, things like that. Um, and that's going to be a senior type role. So, uh, you know, I'm only mentioning this because I had mentioned when we did the bounty support um, roles that we didn't open that up. And so I have another role coming out and I'll post that link when we've got it externally accessible. Um, so just keep an eye out if you're interested in like out there, if you're listening, you're interested in like a senior appsec role at GitHub, um, that is coming. So that's what I wanted to, again, selfishly throw out there. So. What about, what about um, you, Chifon? you have any uh, roles or you know stuff you want to throw out there before we get yeah. into threat modeling? Yeah, um, segments, uh, hiring a lot of security folks, all sorts. So incident response, uh, our um, prod, product security, application security. So if you're interested, definitely hit me up. Uh, yeah, we're, we're looking to hire a lot this year. Cool. And yeah. segments, awesome. Like if yeah. you haven't been paying attention, they're awesome. They've got awesome people. They do have awesome people. We're huge fans of everything coming out of segment and working with you guys. And I mean, we've had Leaf, we've had everybody on the podcast. It feels like, well, that's probably not everybody at this point, right? Like you guys have been growing like mad. So doing some good work though. Um, cool. All right. Well, yeah, let's, let's dive into it. Uh, Ken, do you want to do the, uh, the formal introduction before we start asking Jivan all the threat modeling questions? Yeah, well, so I mean, you know, it's like, 
I was lucky enough to see, to preview some of Jivan's uh, uh, work when, uh, like, for instance, when you had built the train the the training that was sort of um, uh, that you showed that was like threat modeling a home, and it was, and I I mentioned it briefly, not like in depth on the podcast before because I thought it was like. Yeah, the most relatable way to teach somebody on how to train, which I'm sure we're we're going to get into. But um, you know, you you've been so awesome in sharing your. You and I met eventually, uh, uh, originally one on one. Leaf hooked us up, I believe, and uh, so we we met one on one. We were able to talk about um, sort of what you're what you were trying to do at the time with with threat modeling, and um, then later you showed that. Uh, collateral you had built, which was super interesting. And just basically everything you're doing is really awesome. I've told you before we even went live, like we're trying to do that at GitHub, um, trying to go more of like a um, developers, you know, doing their own threat model, uh, threat modeling work. And we're sort of just there um, to, as being sort of a way to keep them focused on the, the or allow them the ability to, to, to think about their security risks and how to approach that. And anyways, long story short, I've told you multiple times, I'm super excited for today. I really, really, really am looking forward to this. Um, yeah, I just hope everybody else gets as much value out of it as, uh, again, selfishly, I will. So <laughs> that's. I'm just so happy to have you on, uh, Jeevan. So actually, um, if you could start out just by telling people a little bit about yourself, what you do, and like your day-to-day. Yeah, uh, I'm Jeevan Singh. I'm based out in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, I'm uh, I run the application security program at Segment, um, and usually application security day to day we do our operational stuff. Uh, so we have threat modeling uh, that we run, but we also um, also we run the bug bounty program with our vendor. We validate uh, security fixes. Um, we answer any security related questions that uh, the engineering team has. And on the flip side, we have a lot of strategic work that we do. So self-serve threat modeling is one of the things that we work on, but we have tons of uh, initiatives that we, we try to like to build out that will focus on pushing the security posture forward. Um, so segment is full of a lot of great engineers. And whenever we build out uh, our security programs, uh, parts of our security program. We want to make sure that we build out things that uh, will last uh, a long time and are automated and they can sort of uh, deal, they can run by themselves. So that that's at a very high level what, what I do at Segment. Cool. Um, so along those lines, you know, Jeevan, how did you get into the AppSec space? Like before we dive into the threat modeling portion, yeah. right, wh- where did that start for you or where did security start for you? Um, what was your path into it? Everybody's is a little different. So yeah, just it, like to get some it, Mine you know. sort of started in university a long, long time ago. Um, I had a friend that um, was really into breaking things. Um, and then we all have that friend. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> One day, uh, he showed me that he cracked a, a large number of uh, usernames and passwords and it, that sort of sparked, I'm like, he didn't use it for any malicious purposes, but he did it for the sake of being able to do it. So that sort of sparked something inside me. And then, um, I had a fourth year engineering course that went into, um, error correction coding and talked really deeply about cryptography. So mm-hmm. along with that, little by little, I kept on getting pulled into uh, security. The code book uh, is a great uh, book by Simon Singh. 
Um, and then my first job was at an e-commerce uh, website. And we'd occasionally see these requests that uh, were like, how did they even get this information? So it sparked some interest. And then uh, when I moved to a company called Vision Critical, um, anytime they ran a pen test, I didn't let anyone else, like the, the director of engineering could see it. I would take it from his hands and then I would say, I'm fixing all of these vulnerabilities. Um, so I, I got lot, my hands dirty there. I got more responsibility at, uh, um, at uh, Vision Critical. So I had a couple of teams reporting into me. So what I did after that, well, I taught my team how to fix vulnerabilities, then I had a couple of teams reporting into me. So I taught all of them. I, I thought it was easier to teach R&D how to fix security vulnerabilities. Uh, and then they finally said, you know what? Why don't you just do this full time? And <laughs> I took that opportunity. Uh, and I never looked back since. I, I've really enjoyed my time on the engineering side. But security is some other is something other crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's always been my, like, mantra, right? And, you know, since I moved over to security, right? At, like, And my initial was more... Um, oh, you're like, you're going to do vulnerability scanning now, right? Like I, you may have been a developer, but you can develop some tools and then you're going to scan for vulnerabilities, right? Um, and then I made my way back into application security, right? But I, like I, for years, I've been saying this, right? Is, hey, the best application security people are developers, right? The, like it's people like you coming from that background. You're going to understand that at a deeper level than you know, somebody coming from the other space, it doesn't mean that you can't make that transition and, you know, learn application security that way, but it, it definitely helps to have engineers on your side when it comes to security, right? Yeah, definitely agree with that. And then um, along the way, you always have people that have a lot of empathy and give you a chance to provide education, which is why this uh, self-serve threat modeling really hit me in the hearts because um, I'm able to now teach other folks about uh, how to look at security. Um, so being able to share that knowledge. Cool. Can you? Which question? I think. No, I think we can get right into. I, I yeah, <laughs> I want to hear. I mean, let's start with you know, sort of, what was the thinking behind um, this approach? Uh, you know, what what challenges is it solving? You know, obviously, I we've talked before, but just for the folks listening, you know, like a little bit of a background on what your program's trying to accomplish by by doing this, and what challenges, like I said, you're you're all you all are solving. Yeah, uh, when I joined Segment, I asked security leadership, "What's the five year plan? Um, what do we hope to achieve uh, on the application security side?" And one of the things that uh, they continuously brought up was self serve threat modeling. Um, and the reason is that the security engineering team rarely grows at the same pace as an engineering team. And we want to make sure that security is in every single conversation. Like, um, so either there's either um, because of the ratio of what, how things grow, um, either the security engineering team is going to be a roadblock and we won't let people push to production without um a security review, um, and we don't. We definitely don't want to do that. Or the other is we're going to have to pick and choose our threat models that we want to be a part of. Um, and uh, of course, we'll choose the ones that are of highest priorities. But we feel that we should be part of every single conversation. So um, we thought, why don't we try self-serve threat modeling? Why don't we try training the developers on how to threat model that? Because that helps our scale scaling issue. Um, we're going to be in every single conversation. 
And it's going to, um, the bottleneck issue as well, because since we're in every single conversation, even though we're not there, um, the developers are able to continue with their um, current velocity. So that's where everything really started with. Um, and we, we see other companies have that same challenge. So we're, we're at the size segment is we, we feel that we can grow the, or the program in such a way that it shouldn't be a problem in the future when we do become a larger enterprise. Nice. So um, can we talk a little bit about the actual threat model training? You know, like how how do you, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know a better segue. So <laughs> we just talk about the actual threat model training. Yeah, like I'd like to hear sort of your approach to building the collateral and like just because, and at some point I really would love to hear more like, yeah, how you came up with the, like the home I don't know if you're still using that, but the, that I loved how how relatable that content was. So yeah, just any sort of like I don't know any the thought model or the, the 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 thought behind how you crafted it and how you chose to 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 sort of lay it out the way that it's laid out. Yeah, so it took me a while to figure out how to do threat modeling. Um, there's no, there are some OASPA courses out there, like you go to Global AppSec and someone's teaching threat modeling, but there aren't very much there in the terms of how um, how you can actually learn it. So um, what I decided to do was that, you know what, I want to be very relatable to individuals. Um, and when we threat model, you don't have to just necessarily threat model software. You can threat model anything. Um, and we do that all the time. So I thought that if we started off with an example of threat modeling your personal safety. So the very first example that we do is that we talk to, we talk to individuals about how did they live in the before times, before COVID? Uh, how did you do grocery shopping? And how did the grocery shopping change after COVID? And people will talk about, oh, we get uh, at-home delivery, or I go into the store when there's not many people. But what I, with that question, I want to dig in. What is the risks associated with it? So I'll keep asking questions until it clicks for them. They're like, oh, the risk is lower um, with home delivery. I don't have to interact with anyone. The risk is lower when I go very early in the morning because there's not many people in the store. So when you have that um, clicking of risk, then I do another example of the home. So we have a picture of a home. And the first question when looking at the picture at the home is, what are some of the concerns that you have? Um, so there's two things that I want to do with this particular exercise. One is I want people to continue to think about threats, think about risks associated with the home. But I also want people to listen to what other people have to say, because diversity in threat modeling is ridiculously important. Um, so people will see, uh, the, um, they'll see trees in the background. Some people are concerned with forest fires. Some people see the trees in the background. They're concerned with uh, intruders or animals coming in. I keep commenting about uh, I live in an area where a bear has visited our home four times <laughs> in the last four years. So <laughs> definitely the diversity of this is super, super important. And then after that, we walk through a threat modeling process, but we do it just uh, looking at a home. So we see the home. We then present blueprints. So we want individuals to look at the home architecturally. 
How are the ways that people can come in and go out of the system? You want to think about it. Um, you want to relate that to the software world where you think about data flowing in and data flowing out. Um, and then we start talking about some of the threats. Um, since it's a home, there's so many different types of threats. We just narrow it down to what a thief would do. What are some of the things that they can steal? So what are some of the concerns we talk about um, if someone were to make damage to the home itself? That you can think about the infrastructure of your software. That um, So the structure. Uh, or if uh, someone steals... Uh, um, their assets within the home. We think about it as data. So first we go from the COVID situation to the home situation where we now try to relate the home to how we do software. And then the next part of the first training um, is that we actually break down and talk about Stride. And we talk about um, the individual items within Stride. And then we have a very generic uh, uh, diagram where it's purposefully ambiguous because the point of the exercise is having people ask questions um, and no question is right or wrong. I want to provoke thought and I want um, everyone to get involved as part of that process. So that's sort of how the first ones, uh, first of the three trainings are laid out. The first one's very heavy on the theory and just getting people engaged and talking and just try to socialize their ideas. And then we move on. Oh, go ahead, Seth. Yeah, sorry, you saw me come off mute, right? Like, <laughs> and I mean, you know, most, most trainings are structured this way where you do theory heavy, heavily up front. But my question to you was that, you know, number number one, like, feels like, like the acceptance has gone well, obviously, because you've been able to give this to developers, right? But um, like, you know, how much time are you dedicating to those training, to those courses to get that uptake like you want it? Yeah, that, that was the big challenge at the beginning. So on it's three courses. Uh, first two are hour and a half each. And the second okay. one is a two-hour session. Um, and in order to get first engineering and security culture uh, at segment is fantastic. So it was didn't require a lot of lift on the engineering side. Um, but we were able to split that over a six-week period. So five okay. hours in six weeks. That's not that big of a deal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So being able to convince them that way. And then um, the challenge was actually scheduling everything. And we were able to get 85% of the developers trained on threat modeling um, within two quarters. So uh, definitely good lift. And from there on, obviously, we're hiring uh, individuals. We have a quarterly session to get all the other folks that haven't been trained trained on threat modeling. Okay. And so, you know, logistically, is that a, you know, like the, the new employee or the new engineer hire, is that, do they do that over the course of like a single day or are you spreading it out over, you know, two or three weeks? It, it's still over six weeks. And okay. Yeah. The, the reason like doing six weeks is uh, for me as a student, I like to take information, let it settle, think about it. Um, and then get the next set of information. So uh, yeah. it works for me as a student. So I thought it might work for other people as well. No, no, I like, I, I really like that. So this is, uh, you know, coming in as a consultant, this is always one of the, the problems that I have when I'm doing any sort of training, right? Is I'm throwing, you know, eight hours worth of information and yeah. exercises at someone. And I'm, I'm hoping that just like one or two of the concepts stick. 
right? Like, because it is so much and we just don't retain, like, I know I don't retain like that, right? Like I'm throwing concepts at developers that I learned, learned over the course of five or six years, right? To be able to teach it back to them. And yeah, so that, that's one thing I struggle with. So I like, I, I like that idea of these like short two hour trainings over the course of a month to two months that they can actually think about it and then apply it, come back with some ideas. So. Yeah, and we beta tested it out as well internally. So um, initially I had the hour and a half and it was jam packed. Like there was like probably two hours or three hours worth of content in it. And I was going really, really fast. And the feedback that I got was, yeah, it's a little bit overwhelming too much. And then I slowly reduced the amount of training on the first one to make it at a better flow. So being able to beta test it against uh, some engineering teams it really helped with deciding what exactly need to go in all the different trainings. Cool. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, that, that was a good answer. Sorry. Go ahead, Ken. Yeah, no, just one thing I <clears throat> I wanted to go back to was um, you had mentioned that, like, for instance, when you're talking about, you know, people with trees behind their home took different or had different sort of threats they were concerned about, which, by the way, real quick, uh, for those listening, part one of the PDF has both things, the house, the home, uh, sorry, in the, the, the threat modeling um, GitHub link that we sent. Uh, the part one PDF has both the home and the COVID-19 threat model scenarios in there. If you want to take a look anyways, going back to it though, when, when you mentioned people's different contexts or different, basically it sounds like people's different experiences, you know, like for instance, you've mentioned bears for you is actually a a real thing, but for me, it would, I mean, well, actually there are black bears, I guess in this area, but for me, it's, it's not necessarily that, right. It's probably more of like the, uh, like fires or intruders or something. Right. So, but how does that um, going back to like running these threat modeling exercises internally, I assume you have multiple, multiple people doing, doing each one of these like teams doing the threat models. Like how does that play out when their different backgrounds and different experiences start to surface with those sorts of like, well, this 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 is a threat, but it, it may be a threat in a different. Maybe I'm maybe I'm concerned about SSRF, but this other person's more concerned about uh, you know something like uh, I don't know repudiation or something like that. Um, you know, I'm worried about a specific bone versus like some sort of. So I'm just curious. Like I don't know how that looks for you all. Like when those those different shared experiences surface, but I'd be more than just a little bit curious to hear hear how how it goes. Yeah, and so it it starts with the threat model itself with the home uh, example. Um, We we talk about the diversity of opinion and how important it is. But our second training where we get a little bit more hands-on, we talk about a couple of different other topics. We talk about assets and how important assets are as part of your threat modeling process. But we also talk about how critically important diversity is as part of the threat modeling process. Um, you have a much more robust threat model when there are when you have so many eyes on it. So that's that's um, that's bubbled up in the third training. Third training is we're going to actually do a live threat modeling session where we threat model a particular feature that you're aware of um, so that you get the best context with respect to that. There'll be many times where maybe the more junior folks are quiet on the calls and I will DM them and say, hey, 
your opinion matters to me. You, you, I would love for you to speak up. And they surprise me every single time. Uh, they'll come up with things that I, as a senior security engineer, haven't con considered it for a long time just because I automatically discount it for a particular reason. But it's definitely worth bringing up because I might have discounted it for the wrong reasons. So having that diversity of opinion really, really helps because it, either I will overlook it or I won't even consider it because my shared experience uh, with uh, doing threat modeling, I've only focused on particular areas. Maybe I'm privacy heavy and really care about the data itself. So I always try to hammer that home that everyone's opinion matters. I will get the more senior folks on the threat modeling sessions to, if I can't DM people, I'll get other people to DM people and say, hey, let's get your opinion. I, I want to hear what you, what you have to say. Seth talks about how early on in his career, I mean, you've talked about it a lot, Seth, how early on in your career you would be in meetings and you would just be completely silent and kind of frozen with, with yeah. fear a little bit of just like, yeah. But then when you started, like, I think you said when you, when you actually started yeah. contributing, you were like, oh, wait, like there's actually a lot more value I can provide than I realized. And yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, Jivan, I like that you're reaching out to those people, yeah. right? Because that's what it took for me, right? Like I, I joined, I, I mean, you would never know it now, right? Like that I was quiet in meetings, like talking about technical topics. But at the time, right, like you're, you're new, you're fresh to a company. Um, and that it was just like, I'm stepping into this and I have no, like, no real context of the network, the application, uh, you know, I'm not going to say anything, but you know, what it took for me is like, like the first one-on-one -on -one I had with my manager. Right. And I'm like, I, I just expressed it. I was like, oh, look, I just feel like I don't bring anything. And I sit there and I say nothing for an hour. And he's like, you've got to, he's, I mean, basically that's what he said to me. You've got to get over this because your opinion matters, right? We hired you because of your experience and it's not going to be seen as a detriment, right? Just because we have a senior here that's very pushy doesn't mean that what you bring to the table is any less valuable. And that and that's what you see across the board, right? From a threat modeling perspective, I, I almost feel like it's a, it's even more important there, right? Because of uh, the blind spots that we all have. I, I mean, I know I have them when I step into those situations and, and I know I like, I do talk over people now, but yeah, that, I, I like to see that, that sort of interaction with juniors. Right. Yeah. And as security professionals, we come in quite blind to the feature or application itself. Yeah. Like the developers themselves, they're developing it for months, quarters, years, they know what's going on in the application, but I'm expected to come in, have a look at it. Maybe I've done half an hour of reviewing beforehand, and then I sit with them for an hour, hour and a half to talk about the potential risks. It's way better if I just teach you how to um, look at the risks themselves, because you're going to find way more than what I can even accomplish. So uh, developers are going to be way better at threat modeling than security professionals. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I... I've got one example of that, right? Like asking questions, you know, to the developers, you know, I, I had one, like this was a dynamic assessment, right? It was years ago, some like microservices architecture that they were rolling out or they had had in place for a while. That's what it was. And, you know, I find like, I find SQL injection on one of them and I'm like, sweet, this is awesome. So I get on the call, like have like 10 people on there and I'm like, Hey guys, I found SQL injection. The senior engineer pipes up and he's like, 
oh, did you find it here? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, that's an old service, right? Like we knew that we were doing things wrong. And I was like, man, I spent so much time combing through all of the, these services to get to this one. And if I, like at the first, if I had just asked, hey, what are your concerns, right? He would have pointed me there, right? Like we would have had this conversation like two weeks before we actually did. Anyway, but but that's where it goes, right? Is you, they know more, they're in there on a daily basis and they've got concerns that you've probably haven't even thought of from a security perspective. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but... <clears throat> I, so I was going to ask if we could go through and I don't want, I know, like, I don't want to like, you know, we don't, I, we've got 24 minutes left, so I don't expect this to be like this most super in depth, but I was wondering if we could go through, like, I've got on my, um, or you can pull it up if you want, of course, Jeevan, but, uh, I've got the part one up where there's like the four steps of like breaking down the feature and finding threads and prioritizing threads and mitigating threats. And I was just wondering if we could just do like a quick synopsis on each one of those for folks. I mean, if not totally fine, we can talk about yeah. other stuff, but I would love yeah. to just, cause like when you explain, I don't know, when you explain <laughs> things, it's just, I just like the way you explain things. So <laughs> <laughs> you want me to share my screen? Yeah, um, please, please do. I'll have, yeah. I'd have to dig it up uh, in, my, in my links, but yeah, please feel free to share your screen. Sweet. So you should see here in a second. Perfect. Yeah, breaking down the feature. Yeah, so uh, yeah, uh, what you're looking at is um, we've open sourced our training, so anyone can have a look at it. Um, in addition, I'm sure that we'll put in the show notes. Uh, I've set up an email address, so if anyone has questions about this afterward, afterwards, um, just have to email sstm at segment.com, self-serve threat modeling. That's what it stands for. So uh, yeah, um, so breaking down the features, there, there are academic terms for um, how to do a threat modeling process. And what I've worked really hard is to remove a lot of the security jargon and academic terms that we have and sort of get down to what really matters, the brass, brass tacks as they call it. So the first part is actually breaking down a feature. As part of our security development lifecycle at Segment, we have a document called SDD, the Software Design Document. And part of the Software Design Document, there are a lot of different sections including one which is architectural. So the most important piece for us is making sure that the architectural diagram is there. And then what we ask um, individuals to do at, in this particular threat modeling um, session is that uh, what, what is unclear as part of the documentation? So I can see this uh, particular diagram and I see some stairs. Um, there, are they going up? Are they going down? Are there different controls at the different levels of the house? So this is the main floor. Maybe at the uh, in the basement, all the doors are have no locks. So if you're in a system, um, your software system, you want to make sure that everything that you see in the um, design is clear and ask the right questions. So make sure that you have a lot of clarity, and that's what we want people to do in this sort of uh, uh, in this step. Um, if you flip to the next one, um, which is we finding threats. So um, in this particular one, we we focus on the thieves because there's all sorts of uh, threat actors um, as part of your uh, threat modeling uh, system. And 
that was unfortunately one of the things that we didn't keep inside our training because there's so much that you could talk about. Um, and I would love to have talked about threat actors, but um, what we what we want to do here was really talk about what are the type of threats that you can discover. And then what we decided to do is give the um, give the trainees four threats because uh, there's an unlimited amount of threats when you come to your home. So we talked about breaking in through an unlocked window. We hired a security guard. We talked about the garage door. And then we also talked about the locks themselves. So that's, that's an interesting point that you're bringing up, like all of the different threats and, you know, how you kind of, you took a step back there on actually defining those. So as far as when developers take this and run with it, after they get through the, the training, is it, are there specific threats that you want to see addressed or is it just, hey, the threats that you've come up with? Yeah, no, it's mostly the threats that you've come up with. So the the goal of the training is to make mini security engineers all throughout the organization. Um, yeah. yeah, and I, I feel that if if we were to box the type of threats, um, it wouldn't let the engineers that we have at Segment are impressive. And I wouldn't yeah. want to box them up. I want them to let their imagination go wild. So we try <laughs> to keep it open-ended as much as possible. See, I, I, yeah. again, that, that that's one of the things that I've struggled with trying to hand. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm sympathizing or empathizing because it's, it's been hard when I've tried to hand threat modeling off to people as far as like, here's a list of things that you can do. And it's always like, oh, I'm going to create this threat to stride, you know, threat to risk matrix with stride and with the threats that, you know, there's malicious outsiders, malicious insiders. And then all of a sudden I'm like, but it feels like you said too prescriptive, right? Um, And it's only because I'm always afraid about what I'm missing. Yeah. 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 Um, It's because that our plan is a multi-year program um, with respect to this. So we have the time to work with the, um, we have pillars, teams, individuals. So we have to we have time to work with all three of those uh, sets of groups, um, and to actually adequately train them. So this isn't um, like the challenge with um, a day training is that you have to fill everyone with all the knowledge at once. Maybe even give them some prescriptive ways so they can take it back. But we have the luxury of we don't have to do that. We're not uh, boxed in like that. So we can go in um, if there are, uh, if we see threat models, uh, artifacts of threat models where there are maybe um, server-side request forgeries missed quite often, we can go back in and just train the team with respect to that particular vulnerability. So we have that luxury where we don't we don't have to be boxed in. Yeah. Well, yeah, I found. A... Uh... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's a you know that that's the advantage of being like internal to an org versus hey I'm trying to get as much value as I can out of this you know time you know small time box. Go ahead, Ken. Sorry. Yeah, but it's hard to get. Yeah, it's hard to. It's also hard to gauge value too. Back to your to what you just said. It's also it's also I mean you know like during right after the fact you know. Uh, you can send out surveys and stuff. And usually after the fact, people are more willing to like, you know, also anonymously give feedback. Um, but like 
why you're there. It's hard. It's a hard thing to gauge unless people are just really enthused, you know, which, which happens, but yeah, no, but I was going to say just that like a long time ago, I'd read a study that after that, uh, two things that hit me from this study was like the attention span at max of somebody when you speak is 45 minutes. And then the, the, the maximum amount of time, like they, they, they tend to remember everything at the beginning and everything at the end, but in the between, that's where people have the hardest problems during that 45 minute window of recall. So, uh, I guess to, to all I'm saying is like, that seems the way you're doing, it seems more optimal, like more information will be retained. Like Seth said, when we do an eight hour course all day long, the way, in fact, when we give training, Seth and I, we, we, we do 30 minutes of talking and 30 minutes of exercise for a reason. It's because, well, one, we want people to do the repetitions, but more importantly, like who is want, who wants to listen to someone go talk for eight straight hours? Uh, even if Seth's voice is so soothing and calming, nobody wants to hear anyone talk for eight straight hours. I don't think, but anyways, yeah. Point is I'll, I'll just go, I'll go back to you for, uh, or did you want me to go to uh, the next step or we yeah. stay here on? Okay. Uh, let's, let's go to the next one. Uh, next one, I do, we do a, a fun a little exercise where without telling the individuals how to prioritize vulnerabilities, I ask them to prioritize it. And then I ask them how they prioritize the vulnerabilities. So really forcing individuals to think about prioritization. Um, do you do what's the easiest? Do you do what's the hardest or the most value? So making them really think about how they want to prioritize. And the last one, when we talk about mitigating um, threats, there's definitely a challenge when it comes to mitigations. Um, sorry, Kate, if you could go to the last one. So the challenge there is you have real life constraints. So either it's going to be money constraints or it's going to be time constraints. So we ask people when you look at these threats, um, uh, so we prioritize that they're going through an unlock window, picking a lock, breaking into a garage and um, bribing a security guard. We say, okay, we have money constraint. You only have uh, $1,000. Um, how are we going to deal with this? So going through an unlock window, um, it, that's easy. It's cheap. We can actually lock the windows before we leave the home. Uh, picking a lock, we decided, okay, these $200 locks are the ones that we like, um, but there are three doors that we have to put it on. That's $600. Breaking into a garage, um, there's a new advanced garage mechanism. It's going to cost us $1,200, so we're not able to really deal with it. How are we able to sort of um, deal with this that situation? And what I'm trying to get uh, there with this is, I, have, I want people to think about the attack surface. Maybe have some expensive tools in your garage. Let's move those into your home instead. So if the garage gets broken into, maybe there won't be too much value there. So um, constantly trying to push the developers just to keep thinking about ways that you can either um, combine controls or way you can shift data so that it makes it optimal for, for that feature. Yeah. I I have to say, <laughs> this cracking me up. If we wanted perfect security for segments applications, we pulled off the internet and drop it out, drop it <laughs> at the bottom of the sea with a lot of sharks that have lasers. I love it. That is hilarious because that is like that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the truth. There is a balance. I mean, you know, 
I've talked about it on this podcast before, but for us, like when we um, do our assessments and our, our code reviews and everything, we're looking for pretty much within a time boxed window that meets everybody's sort of needs. Um, low hanging fruit, things that are high impact, high criticality and everything else, you know, admittedly, uh, if it doesn't fall within those specific things that we're looking for, if it's, you know, um, not, if it's a, it's a, if it's a super, what I'm trying to say is if it's a super complex chain set of bugs and, and vulnerabilities, probably if we get lucky, we'll find it. But, you know, more often than not, the bug bounty program has, has its uh, place. Um, our, you know, test, our testing, meaning like literal unit tests uh, with authorization checks that has its place. You know, CSP has its place. There's all kinds of security controls that you can kind of build around it. But there is no, like to your point, and I love this because there is no perfect, you know, there is no perfect security. There's there's what makes sense given the asset that you're trying to secure. And I think that this captures that really well. You know, to, to, again, to your to your statement here, uh, does it make sense to spend 100K on, you know, uh, Fort Knox's security or 30 million on your house? Well, no, it, it absolutely doesn't. And I love that you're, you, that these, by the way, just so you know, when you, when you even actually originally showed this training to, to, to me and a couple others, um, this was at these, this is actually something I picked out of that. Um, as something I was talking about internally amongst our team is like a, a highlight of things that I, I, I took away that were really awesome. It's just like that whole idea of like what is really applicable for what um, what you're trying to secure. So bravo on that. Uh, I totally agree. I love the approach. Yeah, we can't secure all the things. So as security engineers, it's really our job to figure out what what are, is our risk tolerance? What is the business's risk tolerance? So trying to really get that uh, concept through to the engineers. Yeah, yeah. So along those lines, right? Like you're pushing this out to the engineers, they're helping with it. Is that, uh, is that also started to filter into other areas of the organization, like into more management or, right? Because you, you're starting to talk about, okay, like what is the business's risk tolerance for threats and for mitigating threats and spending money on it? I mean, obviously they're investing in the security team, they're investing in the training and what you guys are doing, but are you starting to see some more conversations around that because of this? Uh, I think the biggest surprise of this training was how much impact uh, the training had on security culture. Mm -hmm. So... Um, segment already had a strong security culture. Everyone really cares about security, but now we have so many more people that are um, engaged with uh, reaching out to me proactively or um, feeling if there are some smells in the code that we should review. Uh, it, it's really impacted it that way. So the individuals are much more readily wanting to talk more about security issues uh, in the system. Um, but with respect to management, we've always had We've always had uh, amazing, I've never been at an organization where the, the relationship between security and the executive and the board and the individuals have been so great. We constantly have the CEO want to know more about our program and how, how we can push them to make things better. So um, things are already really, really good with the, from, from that perspective. <laughs> 
that that's just another you know feather in your cap or whatever right like hey come work with us because uh management actually takes security seriously because that you know i i think anyone who's been in the industry for a while has been at at organizations where that isn't the case right or a change in management causes something to happen and you know security falls down that list or come you know or gets promoted right there's always that that trade-off but that, that that's good to hear right I, I, um, I mean, I would say from the outside, you know, having seen Segment work with you guys in the past, uh, that it, you know, that would be my impression as well is that your upper management takes it very seriously. Even just the the content you push out, like on the blog, like you're doing here, um, you know, we don't see a lot of organizations that do that. There are a handful, right? But um, yeah, yeah. And we recently got acquired by Twilio. And the Twilio folks are just as enthusiastic about security as we are. So we're, we're really happy to see that as well. That's good. So are you pushing this to Twilio engineers as well? No? <laughs> I was <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> we're very early on with uh, integration. Um, so I'm uh, having chatted with the CISO at the Twilio side. Um, it seems like all good ideas are going to work both ways. So Twilio team has some fantastic ideas that we'll incorporate, and we have some great ideas that they'll incorporate. So I, I hope I hope we see this uh, running a lot at a huger scale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. That, that that that's how it should be. We'll we'll we'll, we'll keep track of you there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Let, let us know how things go. <laughs> I don't know. Ever ever since, you know, Ken got acquired by the Borg, or I mean, sorry, by Microsoft, it's just all been downhill over it's there. It's just me too. Just me. I, I'm the just only you. one I got acquired. Just me. I report directly to uh, the CEO on the goings-ons. No, yeah. It's, um, I've been busy. I mean, yeah, like we, we tripled in size. So it's like, uh, yeah, that's been a... Um, that's been a something. That's why we we were hiring, and that's why uh, we yeah we've just been dealing with so much growth over the last couple of years. And yeah, it's like Seth's point. I mean, it's gotten and and actually, this does tie back to this whole conversation because you know like we don't even if like we were pretty well staffed, right? So we're part of this whole product security engineering group is our our new name, and we've got multiple pillars. You know, I manage the offensive pillar, but. Either way, it, 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 the, the, in essence, even though we're well staffed up, um, I just don't think you're ever going to find a security team that can tackle all of the challenges, even if even if they're well staffed up without the help of engineers. And so, you know, I was talking to you before we went live about how we're trying to move to more of this uh, self-security review, a kind of more of an automated in, 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 in the interim, before we have an automated tooling solution, you know, it's probably more manual, but um, the, the idea being that, you know, developers could go through these self-service security reviews, get feedback immediately from all of the uh, different departments that have a vested interest in whatever feature or service they're, whatever they're doing, um, and do that fairly immediately. But as a second level to that, if uh, like say it meets a certain level of riskiness, timelines being what they are, um, you know, maybe it's far out. And so this is kind of the initial design phase, certain things that might uh, be sort of like factors in what goes into, okay, this needs a threat model. And, uh, but again, going to like, anybody's gonna have the resource constraints where it just makes a lot more sense to have developers driving this. And eventually, 
like we do a lot of that um, where we're sitting with, like I said, we were sitting with developers. We're kind of guiding over all the process, but letting them really drive it and actually use the tools like draw.io or threat dragon or whatever, and actually point out all their risks. And sometimes it's really fun. Cause like sometimes developers actually, and, and not like in a negative way, but they'll, they'll debate, you know, they'll definitely debate like, Oh, well, what about this? And they'll be like, well, we have a mitigating control for that. But like we, they'll be like, well, but like there is this other thing and it, le- it like really snowballs into a whole bunch of other uh, different risks that we, I don't even think, think sometimes, sometimes we would have thought of, thought of, and it's just cause I think they have more context. Right. So I guess where I'm, I'm rambling, but I, I think that this is what I'm trying to say is I think for everybody, we're always going to be somewhat resource constrained. And I do think that like, this is where it needs to go. It's where people, engineers are driving their own threat model sessions. They're identifying their own risks. There's somebody to help accompany them and make sure it all makes sense. Of course, some oversight from security, but ultimately fairly hands off. Like, I don't think that it's just, it needs to be done, but it, I don't, I just don't think it's tenable like for, you know, every feature and service uh, for security to be doing it. It just doesn't make sense. And also we just don't know the risks as well as the people that are developing it. Yeah. yeah. Kudos to you. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, those are all great reasons for having them do it. And then even selling it to the engineering team. So you have the five hours over six weeks. But in addition, um, while we're now letting the engineers lead the threat modeling sessions, it's another 15 or 20 minutes of additional work on their part. They're going to be sitting in those threat modeling sessions anyways. Now having them set it up and run it, it's just a tiny bit more lift on their side. So um, at, like at the end of the day, the amount of effort that goes into actually the training is not really a lot. So being able to sell to the engineering leadership and tell them why it's so important to do this um, wasn't that bad because there's not there's not too much engineering lift on it. Well, I mean, they already have the context of, you know, I feel like so much of what we do in the beginning is we do discovery, a lot of discovery, a lot of what's connected to what, uh, a lot of questions of like, oh, okay, so you're showing us these four components, but how is like, where's your persistent data store? You know, oh yeah, we don't have that in there. So much of it is honestly just fleshing out like the discovery, the, the, the assets. And so much of that is us figuring from security, us being, yeah, security, figuring that out. And then like you get to the point where it's actually the critical piece that we can contribute, which is the actual risks. And you start to realize like, oh my God, oh my God, everybody on this call that's not security could have done this way quicker and like with much more efficiency and more comprehensively. So it's like, I don't know. I, I, I in a, It sounds weird, but in a perfect world, I feel like it'd be great if we moved to to a, a point at which security is not, not really... Um, needed for more than just guidance and oversight than, than, you know, just hands-on. So, yeah, I, I would, I would say that's the experience on most like application or product security teams, right? Not just from threat modeling perspective, but from a testing perspective, I, I, I know I always say it, but you know, you know, application security testers are just QA testers that do it poorly and don't document very well, right? Like, it's just, it's true, but like, there's there's people on the teams that specialize in this sort of thing, right? We're looking for edge cases, we're looking for ways that the application airs out. And, you know, if you handed QA testers a set of, you know, fuzz lists, they could probably do 
90% of what the security team does with only 10% of the effort, right? Like it's just this, this constant battle of, okay, if they can recognize it, if we can train them up in the proper way, like Jivon is doing here, then it would actually make product security and application security's life easier in the long run. Um, and yeah, it means maybe I wouldn't be doing as many pen tests or when I do, like they'd be incredibly frustrating because it's already, they've already found everything that's, you know, low hanging fruit as we call it. Right. I'd be okay with that. I'd yeah. be a hundred percent okay with that. <laughs> yeah. I, I say that, but there's organizations like as a consultant that I've worked with for, you know, three or four years at this point, And like, I'm coming back in to like, look at their code um, for the third time. And I'm like, guys, you've actually taken my suggestions. I I don't like, I'm like, I'm going to have to get somebody else to look at this code base at this point. Right. Because it means that like you, you, you're doing what you should be doing. I don't see a good way for an attacker to get in here or here or here or this new feature and good job. Right. But it's, it's, it's almost incredibly demoralizing as well because it's like, oh, if my ego is tied up with me finding vulnerabilities, then, uh, yeah, maybe I should have held off on telling them about that SQL injection, but that's not, that's not good, you know, citizenship. Not so, yeah. yeah, not ethically <laughs> what I should be ethical, doing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Huh. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, I mean, in those cases, I almost feel like, you know, it makes sense to pick apart a specific part of an applicate because some... I would say move on to another one, but like, you know, you have to do some, some things are in scope. They have to be reviewed by a third party. Right. So in those yep. cases, one thing we we've done, if, if it helps anyone listening is we've taken like, for instance, a very specific set of our application, like for instance, the uh, restful API and just looked for authorization flaws where the bug bounty has previously uncovered flaws there. Um, you know, we've had it completely audited because uh, new endpoints get added, permission changes, permissions change. Uh, you know, at one point we introduced GitHub apps, so that's a whole different actor model and permission model. So, in those cases, like, you know, you can scope it to just like one specific thing of the application that's a concern. But like, yeah, I mean, how many times can you, if the code doesn't change that much, how many times can you review something and find new stuff? Right? Yeah. Eh. Well, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, part of that too is right, like working with de- the developers, and um, you know, I, I don't know, I like part. I go back to the whole idea of okay, it, it, like that. That's not on me. Is like that doesn't reflect anything from like the the product security, the application securities team, as far as like their expertise. Because if anything, it's like, hey, they're pushing in the right direction because of what they've done. Um, but you, uh, you know, don't lie. you're just st- staring in the mirror at yourself, being like, I'm yeah, still I'm valuable, I'm still worth. <laughs> and then, and, well, I'm but then I also go worse. back to, I'm also like, oh, guess what, right? Next, next time around, I'll help you find somebody else, I'll help you find another partner that can review so you know that it's not just like my blind spot, but there's, there's other people that are out there that can look at things from a different perspective. That again goes back to the you know, the diversity, the inclusion factor that we've got other viewpoints looking at a code base, because maybe somebody's better at looking at, you know, authorization for phones or finally SSRF, because these, these guys don't run a bug bounty program, right? So they don't have quite that same exposure level. But anyway, I, you know, I'm rambling now and we're, we're over time from what we've promised Jeevan, but. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. 
we want to be cognizant of your time and you know the fact that you've come on and given us so much of it here today and are co uh, contributing so much back to the community it's a great resource um, we're going to continue to push it um, but is there any are, are there any like last minute words of advice that you have or anything yeah. that you want to plug before you we move on yeah um so um really listen to your engineering team whenever you're building out your threat modeling um work within their workflows um and then things that i want to plug so read the article if you have questions i set it up an email address feel free to hit me up we're really open i, I run the vancouver oas chapter and i feel like my main job is to teach people as much as i can so please, um, if you have questions, feel free to hit me up. I have no problems with uh, either emailing you back or having a conversation. So uh, definitely hit us up. And then segments hiring. So I'm hiring two AppSec engineers on my team. So if you're interested in this, if that sounds good, definitely uh, come join me. Yeah, I'm uh, actually putting the link in now. Um, my computer's running super slow or I would have found the security specific ones. But yeah, segment.com forward slash careers. Go there, check out the open roles. Jeevan, Leaf, the whole team, everybody we've we've talked to, they're awesome from Segment. So two thumbs up for y'all. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> two thumbs up. Well, good. Uh, appreciate it. Um, uh, as for everyone else, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for you know being a part of the community. Jump on Slack or hit us up uh, via Twitter DMs or however you can find us online. And let's continue the conversation. If you've got any questions, Jeevan, is there somewhere that people can reach out to you? Um, uh, I'm not on social media too much. So if they want to find me on LinkedIn, <laughs> that's probably okay. the best place. Yeah. No, I know. That, I tried that, to find your Twitter good. handle this morning. No, no luck. <laughs> no luck. So. No luck. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. We don't, we don't all have to be addicted to Twitter because it can be a bad thing. If, if you need to get a hold of me, hit up Leaf and he'll redirect you. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Okay. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining today. Thanks again to Jivon for your, his time. Ken, any last minute announcements, thoughts? Nope. Uh, just to owe people swag. So the couple people that I still owe swag to, I have not shipped it. I apologize. My life has been crazy. I will get it done. But yes, and I will confirm by next Tuesday, I will have confirmed that that stuff shipped. That's my <laughs> promise to everyone. But anyway, so thank you so much, Jivon, for your time. Um, and uh, everybody who listens. So. All right. Cool. Thanks everybody. See you next week.